So I want to talk uh, this morning about interdependence. And I partly chose this topic because it's right at the center of our practice. And I partly chose this topic because it's one of the doorways to connecting our practice with understanding of the whole web of events around September 11th. And I'm not going to talk too much about September 11th, but I want to have that door be open to make those connections, because those events, in part, can be understood as an invitation to deepen our sense of interdependence. And I'll probably, um, I'm going to be here next week, too, and I'll probably focus more on that next week. An understanding of interdependence is, is what's present when we have an open heart, a clear mind, when we have wisdom. We see the world as a web, a web of interdependent beings, relations, things, objects. We come to see the world and act in the world in a way that's different from how we've been conditioned to see and understand the world, which is more as self-contained beings who attempt to manipulate the world to gain pleasure and avoid pain. And I think one way of understanding the heart of our practice is to see it as a cultivation of a sense of interdependence. And so what I'd like to do is to talk first about why interdependence is important, and secondly talk about why it's hard to have that sense of interdependence. And thirdly, I'd like to talk about cultivating interdependence, and fourthly, give a sense somewhat of what it's, what it's like to have cultivated that, partly by uh, partly by reading others, partly by invoking what I think what our own deepest experiences have been, because I have a sense that our own deepest experiences that can really orient us are in part about interdependence. So first about why, why this is important. As many of you know, the Buddha reported that on the night of his awakening, the key understanding that he had was an understanding of interdependence. He called it dependent arising. And I'd love to sometime um, give a talk about that teaching, which I'm not going to do here, but he his, his pivotal insight 
at the very time of his awakening was about the interdependent nature of things, about the great web of causality that connects the inner and the outer parts of our experience and that leads either towards suffering or towards awakening. There's, in in one of the the texts on dependent arising, one of the main texts in the... um, in the suttas, Ananda, basically, Ananda is Buddha's um, attendant, sort of, in, to the extent that there's comedy in the suttas, Ananda is the setup man. And Ananda asked this question. Um, he, he's, he's talking about this understanding of interdependence, and he, and he says, It is wonderful, Buddha. It is marvelous how profound this dependent arising is, and how profound it appears. And yet it appears to me as clear as clear. That was, that was, <laughs> that was a red flag for the Buddha. <laughs> and so the Buddha says, Do not say that, Ananda. Do not say that. This dependent arising is profound and appears profound. It is through not understanding, not penetrating this dependent arising that this generation has become like a tangled ball of string, covered as with a blight, tangled like coarse grass, unable to pass beyond states of woe, the ill destiny ruin and round of birth and death. And he he goes on to say that it's actually uh, not so easy to understand. That, it, that this notion of interdependence is penetrating into independence is actually quite hard. And it's, um, and so I think in, in, even in giving this talk, I want to, um, as it were, invoke a certain humil- humility in, in even talking about interdependence, because it takes us to our most profound understanding of things, whether we call it love, whether we call it connection with the universe or whatever, and it's, it's something that's not easy to understand, not easy to uh, penetrate, and yet I think we've all had experiences of it that can, that can orient ourselves. Another reason why, why this notion of interdependence is so important, that I think it's actually something we can cultivate both in our formal practice or retreats and also in our daily life. And many of you know the, the wonderful teacher Thich Nhat Hanh. And I, for me, Thich Nhat Hanh has really been a teacher about interdependence. It's about seeing the web of, of life more clearly and being in touch with it. And I, I remember when I did my first retreat with Thich Nhat Hanh, which was about 15 years ago, and I had been... Uh, living and doing retreats at the Insight Meditation Society in Massachusetts a lot. And, and maybe like here, we're really into, you know, intensive practice, uh, deep concentration, doing these kind of almost like, sometimes like a warrior model of, of meditation. Um, rather masculine, you might say. And... Uh, and Thich Nhat Hanh came to Insight Meditation Society and he led a retreat for a week. 
and he allowed talking during the retreat. The sittings were 20 minutes long. <laughs> and he gave two-hour talks. And some of, I remember some of the uh, people on the staff were kind of looking down, saying, this isn't real practice. This, is, uh, this isn't so, um, boy, they're not really doing it. They're, this, they're, just, they're just getting ready for the real thing. You know, and and you know, I didn't feel it that way. I, I I think I had those thoughts once or twice, but it was a teaching about interdependence because Thich Nhat Hanh would teach through his talks and in the sitting he would teach a different way of of seeing. He would hold up, as some of you know, because he's come here a lot. He would hold up an orange, and he would say, "Look at this orange." And he would stop people's minds. They would just be with the orange. He would say, look at this orange. Can you see the clouds and the rain in the orange? Can you see the orange tree? Can you see the person who brought the orange to the markets? Can you see the cash register? (laughs) Can you see all that? Can you let the orange be a doorway through mindfulness into a sense of interdependence? And I think that example can give a sense that this is a practice which we can actually cultivate in daily life through a kind of slowing down mindfulness, seeing, and being awake to, being awake to things. Now this, on the other hand, this practice is difficult. That simple way of seeing the orange, of opening to interdependence, goes against some very strong conditioning. And I was, you know, I was just thinking, I was driving here from the East Bay, and some of you I know came from the East Bay, and there was, there was some messy traffic, you know, and I, I didn't quite leave myself a really large cushion of time to get here. Fair, pretty good cushion, like an hour. But, you know, and there were, there were some snags, and I could see my mind you know, because I, I was trying to say, let's just feel interdependence on this, on this trip, you know. And, and I could feel my, my mind getting in, sort of into survival mode. I hope this block up doesn't take too long, you know, or, you know, when, on the, on the um, Richmond-San Rafael Bridge, at one point it came to a st- dead stop, which it doesn't usually do, and I said, whoops. And, you know, I could feel that, and feel that mind getting a little more contracted, you know, as, we, as happens to us a lot. Right? And it was kind of like an invitation, okay, can you, can you cultivate interdependence during gridlock on the bridge? <laughs> not so easy, right? It's not so easy because we tend to construct the world as if we're separate. We tend to construct the world, and this is our deep conditioning, we tend to construct the world 
as if we need for our survival to manipulate the world to make sure good things happen and avoid bad things. And it's this very, very deep conditioning. And so at an extreme, we're, in a way, construct the world so that we're very, very separate, not only from the rest of the universe and not only from other people, but also in many ways from ourselves. Because the extreme version of this is almost like a planning, manipulating mind that is separate even from one's own body and heart and being. It's sort of the extreme version. And I think we all have to recognize that in our, in our, in our own beings, the extent to which we're, we have been conditioned to be separate. And I think it's part of, it's part of human nature. And in, in a way, it may be part of just the evolutionary process and the developmental process to go through that and have to go through that. I'm not, I'm not sure that it seems to be the case. That we, that we need to develop this separate self as a stage of development. But we all go through that. And we, part of our practice and part of what we do here is we start to deconstruct that sense of separation. We start to see how much we've set up boundaries, again, not only between ourselves and others, but also within ourself. And again, it's not so much that I, Donald, have set up this barrier. A lot of it's very cultural. A lot of it's given with the culture. It's not something we need to blame ourselves for. But it can be very striking. I remember that myself, um, I remember when I was in my early 20s and I was, um, I was actually living in, in Germany for a year. And I had the I think there was some coming to understanding about bodily awareness. And I was very surprised to, to just note that my, my general awareness at that time was that of kind of a mind on a, on a stick. <laughs> you know... It was kind of like a mind on a stick. Even though I had been an athlete, I had been very physical, but my experience was that kind of like, and I remember the experience of walking and having the experience of being like a mind walking on a stick, and I wasn't really aware of my body. It was just like a mind thinking on this stick. Has anyone else had that? (laughs) And it, it 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 was, whoa, this this is interesting. You know, again, it's not. It, it, uh, this could coexist with actually being quite physical. At times, it was very interesting. It's like that quotation, which I know Jack likes a lot, from one of James Joyce's short stories, which was that uh, the main character, Mister Duffy, and at the, in this story, there's the line, Mister Duffy lived a short distance from his body. <laughs> <laughs> And we, we do that, don't we? We, we, um, we do that with our... We, we have these separations so that we actually have to learn interdependence with our bodies. 
We have to learn interdependence, as as you were saying, with the mind and body, with the mind and body and heart, and and the other the other qualities of ourself. And so we 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 have to, a lot of practice can be. Uh, it's like you were you were saying. It's like a lot of practice. We see these patterns, and we learn gradually. Uh, alternative ways of being. We learn gradually that we can be with a sense of interdependence in ourself, with our bodies and hearts and minds, and we can also begin to open up to the world outside, as it were. That we can start to see the separations that we have with the trees and the bushes, with the other people we can see how we tend sometimes, or quite often, to objectify. You know, to objectify things. You know, so much of Western culture is based on this objectification of nature. And it has its, it has its value. You know, it, I think it's part of the background for science, but it also has its, as it were, its pathology, which, which we see very clearly these days. And so we, we have to, in our, in our practice, part of our practice is just to hang out and see the ways that we're not interdependent, to see the ways that we're conditioned, to w- see the ways that our sense of our identity gets constricted and fixated, to see the ways that we tend to say, even that this part of myself is not something I want to have I want to be interdependent with, <laughs> you know. And I, I think it sometimes happens also with the aging process, you know, right? People say, okay, uh, that expansion of this part of my body is not really me, <laughs> right? Or that change in my body, that's, well, that's not me, of course. You know, and it's, it's, it's a challenge, right? It's a challenge to really cultivate the sense of interdependence as we change as we, as we expand our, our sense of, of possibility. And that, that sense of separation is something that we can feel as individuals, and I think it's also something that we can feel as a culture or as a nation. And there, there are ways in which the whole September 11th set of events, again, it's complex and there are many dimensions to it, but one dimension is an invitation, I think, to see more clearly the web of interdependence and causality, to see more clearly how we actually are related to others, how we are connected, and how we might actually um, cultivate a larger sense of self in relation to the rest of the world as a nation. And the predominant reaction has been to sort of retreat into a more separated sense of national self, understandably, from, from fear and reaction. But I think the larger invitation is to cultivate this larger sense of self in which we're interdependent with others. You know? And I could, I could go on more about what that might mean, but I think I just want to, want to leave, it, leave it at that and maybe give more attention to that next, next week. So given that we 
can begin to see the ways that we find ourselves very separate. You know, so much of the day, I'm just, just trying to get this done, just trying to get things happening that sometimes take us to this very narrow sense of self, is very separate and just doing things. You know, I, I like to joke sometimes that many of us, even those who've been practicing a long time, we're not really interested so much in awakening. We're interested in completing our to-do list. <laughs> that if we could somehow complete our to-do list, which is very much like a separate self completing a to-do list, that somehow there would be happiness there. I know I sometimes think that. Happiness would be when I finally complete my to-do list and then I can relax or something. <laughs> and, and so... <laughs> so there's this, this second part of, of what I want to talk about is, is this invitation to see more clearly how we separate ourselves, how we create boundaries, how as part of our conditioning we have this sense of separate self. And it sometimes can be quite painful. It sometimes can be very, very hard to keep looking at it. But there is this also this third part I want to talk about, which is that we can also cultivate a sense of interdependence and that there are practices that we can do which lead uh, very directly to a deeper sense of interdependence. And it can be the interdependence among the different parts of ourselves, the interdependence of, of being with other beings, with, with, the, uh, with the natural world, and it can even be on, a, on the level of our, of our nations or of larger systems. We can cultivate that sense of interdependence. And before I go on to that, I want to say that part of what we can look at when we look at um, the ways that we're not so uh, interdependent, we can also start to see that there actually are some forms of interdependence that are, um, this is sort of a, a sub-theme, that it can be pathological. And we have this wonderful term in the uh, sort of the psycho-spiritual subculture of codependence, right? And it's kind of interesting that sometimes dependent arising is translated as codependent arising. And there, there, there are ways, obviously, that we can be interdependent and there can be pathology. I just want to note that, and maybe we can come back to that in our, in our questions, that we can be linked to others in ways that are not mature. And that, that's an important point. So how do, we, how do we cultivate this sense of interdependence? I think a lot of it is just giving attention. A lot of it is really just slowing down, stopping the, the quickness of our lives, and really just being present with mindfulness, with objects. There's a way that the world's interdependence opens up to us when we give attention. There are ways in which we can, in the very act of presence, start to loosen that sense of separation 
And so we have this wonderful tool in our own beings, this ability to give attention, to be attentive, to be present, which in a way takes us out of ourselves. I think I'd like to ask you, I want to um, teach very briefly a few very simple practices that you can take home with you that are very direct ways to cultivate interdependence. The first one is what I call being with ordinary objects. And I I want to say that these practices were practices that uh, Julie Wester and I developed when we were teaching together some years ago, that we were just wanting to um, move towards this sense of ways of cultivating interdependence in everyday life. So I'd like you to take an object that's right around you. It can be the cushion, it can be a piece of paper, it can be your watch, it can be anything. And this is the first practice, is just to give attention to a so-called ordinary object and be present with it. Be mindful. Let the object speak to you rather than thinking about it too much. There's a way in which when we give this very simple attention, we, we stop the conditioning. There's an irony that when we really give very simple attention and are just present with ourselves and our experience, we actually go beyond some of the limits of ourselves. It's ironic. When we're present with ourselves in a deep way, we go beyond the limits of ourself. <coughs> now take a second exercise, take that same object, and see that object very much in the spirit of that Thich Nhat Hanh practice. Look at the object. For me, if I'm looking at this piece of paper, Can I see the web of interdependence and causality? Can I look at this piece of paper, as it were, with the eyes of a poet that sees a web, that sees the tree, that sees the lumber truck? Can I let this object open up the web of interdependence for me?
there's something that is very much like having the eyes of a poet. I, I, some years ago, I spent a summer at Naropa and was studying poetry and writing a lot of poetry. It felt like the center of the poetry universe, studying with Allen Ginsberg and Ann Waldman, Philip Whale, and some of you know these people. And my consciousness at that time was like just going to four or five poetry readings and writing poetry. I felt like my consciousness was... uh, I felt like I was shooting metaphors out my eyes. Do you know that experience of of like having things be in interdependence and relationship and I would be, you know, I would, I would just, uh, I would look at an object and I wouldn't just see it, I mean it's a little bit different from the experience of mindfulness, of just simple presence. There's also that sense of seeing interdependence. And I would see an object and I would just, my mind would just connect it with a hundred other things, like that very creative, active, sense of interdependence, which, which taught me tremendously. It was a beautiful way to be, and it kind of faded if I don't do so much poetry. But it, was, it, was, it really taught me something. Now the third practice I want to do is more of a heart practice. And this is with that same object. It's to cultivate a sense of gratitude. Can you look at that object and, in a way, say thank you? I want to read something right before I ask you to do this practice. This is from one of my favorite books called St. Francis Preaches to the Birds. It's a book that one can read in about 15 seconds. And I'll, I'll read it to you, but I'll take maybe a little longer, maybe 45 seconds. And it's, uh, it's done by the uh, Peter Schumann, who was the... Uh, founder of the Bread and Puppet Theater. Some of you know that. It's in Vermont. It's one of the great cultural treasures of our world. (laughs) And so this is the story of St. Francis, which is a story about interdependence and gratitude. So here it is. This is St. Francis. It's 5 a.m. Wake up, St. Francis. He opens the window and sings, Tra-la-la. He brushes his teeth. He says, Thank you, teeth. He washes his, he washes his toes. He says, Thank you, toes. He gets milk. He drinks his coffee. He says, Thank you, coffee. He goes through the town, through the apple orchard, over the pasture, and up the hill. The birds come flying, 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 flying. No caption. (laughs) Still flying. Still flying. Then St. Francis preaches to the birds until the sun sets. 
Yes, until the sun sets. Good night. <laughs> I think that's one of the most succinct books on interdependence. <laughs> and so I want to invite you just to do in that spirit uh, a very brief practice. Can you invite gratitude for this object? And if you chose an object that is not the greatest for summoning gratitude, you can choose another, you know, like your socks or something. I can just do this for a few minutes. So I offer these practices as very simple daily life practices, which you can do just during the day. You can do them at red lights. Uh, And they really bring up that sense of interdependence. And I think coupled with the formal practice, one can really start to experience more and more one's experience as less from this sense of a separate self trying to control the world, and more as a quality of presence within a large field, within a large web of things. I think we, I think we, we long for that sense. It's a sense of being at home, isn't it? To have that, have that quality of things. maybe a sense of being really in touch with the different parts of ourselves. It may be a sense of being very connected to the natural world and feeling that we are made of the same stuff in a way and that we, that we belong. There's a very beautiful passage I wanted to read from the... Uh, writer Susan Griffin, who who sometimes comes here. She says, We know ourselves to be made from this earth. See this grass, 
the patches of silver and brown, worn by the wind, the grass reflecting all that lives in the soil, the light, the grass kneading the soil, with roots deep in the earth, and patches of silver, like the patches of silver in our hair, worn by time, this bird flying low over the grass, over the tulies, the cattails, sedges, rushes, reeds over the marsh, because we know ourselves to be made from the earth, temporary as this grass, wet as this mud, ourselves filled with water, like the mud of this swamp, heather growing here because of the damp. I think we aspire towards that sense of being at home, being connected. We aspire towards that in our, in our being with others, in our relationships. And sometimes I think we just have to, again, just give the attention to open up the territory to let go, to go beyond the boundaries. I was thinking of, for me, one of the, one of the ways that interconnection happens sometimes is through travel. And I was thinking of an experience that I had uh, ten year, about over ten years ago when I went to the former Soviet Union. And I was in, I w- I was in the Soviet Union before it ended being the Soviet Union, and it was, it was not always easy to be there. And it was, but it was, just, uh, it was just a few months before the coup, and I spent two, two weeks there and got to know a lot of people from both uh, around Moscow, and I also went to uh, Lithuania, where two of my grandparents had come from. And it was very, it was very powerful. And then I was helping to uh, guide uh, a summer institute for Buddhist Peace Fellowship, which was about six days long. And the attempted coup came within the time of the summer institute. And we learned of the news one morning. And quite a few of the people there had had some connection with the Soviet Union at that time. And I remember that just spontaneously we did this ritual where we opened up the space and we did something very simple. We just invited people to say the names of people that they knew in the Soviet Union. Just to really establish this open space of connection. And it was so simple and yet so, um, so moving. You know, I think a quarter of us, half of us were in tears the whole time. It was just, it was just ten minutes. And it really, it was that, that lived sense that we sometimes have, that we can, that we are really connected. And so I wanted to, uh, I wanted to close with, a, with a, po- a very short poem by Gary Snyder, which is a little bit in the, uh, kind of, it's in the, it's in the patriotic mode, which I think is interesting in relationship to to, to this anniversary coming up, but it's also about that spirit of interdependence. 
<clears throat> this is called for all. Ah, to be alive on a mid-September morn, fording a stream, <clears throat> barefoot, pants rolled up, holding boots, pack on, sunshine, ice in the shallows, northern Rockies, rustle and shimmer of icy creek waters, stones turned underfoot, small and hard as toes, cold nose dripping, singing inside, creek music, heart music, smell of sun on gravel. I pledge allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the soil of Turtle Island, one ecosystem in diversity, under the sun, with joyful interpenetration for all. <laughs> Thank you very much. We have some time for any discussion or questions or reports of what those uh, practices were like. And we'll, yeah. I was going to ask you if you could elaborate about the pathological oh. part of it. <laughs> the, the pathology. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think that's it's important because in a way... In a way, we're looking for healthy self and healthy interdependence. And, you know, I was thinking of, um, I taught in um, Kentucky for four years. And I remember I would teach, uh, I was teaching in the philosophy department. I would teach a course on ethical issues. And we'd have, I'd have a focus on the issue of community. And I had a lot of, lot of students who were from the mountains, from east, mostly eastern Kentucky. And I remember one woman, when we said, when we, I think at that time I was mostly thinking of community and interconnection as something positive and, you know, and the individualism more as a problem. And she said, community? I want to get as far from community as I can. <laughs> and so that's, that's something about, she was pretty interconnected in her town in eastern Kentucky, but it was stifling in some ways. It was stifling for her. There was not room for her to grow. You know, there, so I think that there are uh, social forms, there are, you know, we know that in our relationships we can uh, have a kind of mm, dependence that's not based, as it were, on healthy selves relating to each other. It's based on need or some uh, um, some kind of way of relating that's not healthy for the two beings in the long run. It could be extreme need, 
It could be um, a lot of unconscious motivation. I think we all we all know that, right? Most we've most of us have explored a lot of that kind of codependence, and, and I think so. I think it exists on every level. You know, we the world is becoming a lot more interdependent. Some of that happens because of um, has happened because of empire, has happened because of uh, uh, what one writer calls the monoculture of the mind. The sort of the, you know, I don't know that the interdependence that we have by having McDonald's in every city in the world is necessarily so positive, right? There's a kind of way that interdependence can get forced on people, right? We are more connected to people in the northern Amazon in some ways culturally and socially than we ever were, and it's not entirely positive. So there's a lot of sorting out to, that needs to happen there. Does, does that help? Yeah, but what comes to my mind through the question is the compassion Buddhism, the way I understand it, uh, leads to the, uh, the self dissolves and you become the other person, and sometimes this other person is a, a very problematic, and that if you understand you can uh, I can sometimes I find myself understanding the other person so well that I can actually almost accept their dark side so well that I, I have no more boundaries. Mm-hmm. And that's very difficult mm-hmm. thing to say yeah, that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Right. So that's I think that's that's that points to a, a really important issue of practice. Which is that is this practice about dissolving the self? Um, the question to ask. It's, it, in my experience, it's been more about um, um, dissolving the fixed views about the self. And so there's, there's, there, there, there grows to be um, a kind of groundedness, more and more a groundedness in the self, which can't be knocked around or pushed around as much and which doesn't, which has the capacity, as it were, to enter with another, but there's there's not uh, there's not a there's not only emerging, but there's also a way of um, um, having a, a separate presence. Am I am I making sense? I, th- I know that that's what many people explore in intimate relationships, right? We explore the, the extent to which our idea of romantic love has taken us to want to merge with the other and give up ourselves. Very common, right? We give up, we give up ourselves because we think that this is what we need to do to have love. And we, we, we maybe don't keep certain boundaries. So for a lot of people... I mean, it's ironic. I, I've been in a number of Buddhist settings where, where people talk about the need to construct a strong self and find their boundaries, right? It's because of this issue, because there can be an imbalance. I know that's been my experience. It's something I've had to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, David. It's, it's a beautiful story, and 
if I can just um, say what um, say what touched me about that. I mean, there, it's very related to the theme of interdependence. And there, there are a lot of things there. I mean, so much there in that story. But uh, one, one quality, which um, to me is not always emphasized so much in the um, Buddhist teachings, is that of the field of others, as it were, as the cause for our awakening, and to really see it that way. Sometimes we just think that uh, others, you know, I mean, I, Jean-Paul Sartre once said, uh, others are hell. You know, <laughs> do you know, do you remember, some of you may know that quote. L'enfer c'est les autres. And, um, and one of my teachers used to say, objects are objectionable. <laughs> uh, and, and yet, uh, and so sometimes we just want to uh, retreat into our own private realm. And so it's a switch to say, no, I awaken with the world. And I awaken with the places where there's sometimes friction. You know, and to do that in relationships is to really open up to that as a major source of awakening, whatever kind of relationships, or do that in our, in our work. And to have that approach is, is to really accept interdependence as the field of our practice, which is profound and hard. And, 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 I, and the, the other point was that to do that or to do any of what we, you know, we've talked about today, it's like we constantly go back and forth between a more contracted, you know, I've got to get through this traffic to get to Spirit Rock so I can talk about interdependence. <laughs> right? Uh, interesting irony. <laughs> we go from that to, oh, a traffic jam. How, you know, can I open to that? And we, we go back and forth, and it's not like we're, we've arrived. That, that's why we call it practice. We go back and forth, and it's not easy, and we lose it. And we don't, some, in our work, we don't get so much support often. And we need support to really make this alive in our lives. You know, we need support. We need to have buddies and groups and a hundred different techniques. And then the other, the other piece that really struck me was the quality of your skillful means. That those words you uttered, you could have uttered words in a tense situation that led to more of a sense of separation, or you could have uttered words as you did, which led towards a sense of interdependence. And I think you, you were incredibly skillful, and I think that's what we're called to do. We're called to be skillful in these difficult situations, and we're going to not be skillful a lot or most of the time, and then we're going to be skillful, and they stay with us. And they give us an example, so the next time we're in that situation, we can do what's, uh, what we maybe know better can overcome the sense of separation. You know, in every tense situation, every crisis, personal, social, or whatever, is an invitation to do just what you did in some form. 
And I think that we, so we have these outside experiences, but we also, I think this is where the practice comes in. We have, we, I think we have to keep doing the inner work and the practice because it's that which gives the basis in part for being able to do it more outwardly. Or at least it's, it, it's, for me, it's certainly necessary practice. I need to go into my mind and my body and my heart enough so that I begin to feel like there's actually, there's one heart and one body and one mind in the world, and we share it, you know, and we share that. And so when I see someone else in that kind of pain, I don't, you know, I, I know I've gone into it enough, so I don't feel separate and that I need, in order to survive, to increase the separation because I've gone into my own pain enough, and I know this, I know somewhat. It may not be exactly like that other person, but I know it somewhat. And I know it because I've looked it in myself a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand times. And that's where the practice comes in. That's where that constant being with ourselves comes in, so we move towards that sense of there being one heart and one mind. And it's kind of the same. And I think that's where we, um, that's that's where we go. That's the direction of this practice. So let me let me close with a dedication of merit and and metta. We can just sit quietly. And bring to mind. Let come to presence what's been important from this morning. Something that was said or a practice, one of the practices I gave, an insight that came to, came to you, an intention that you have. What do we want to take out of our, of our time together? <coughs> and so we, we dedicate the merit of our time together this morning. May the fruits, the insights, the learning be shared with all beings knowing that we practice not just for ourselves, but for all beings, and that we share the fruits of this morning, the fruits of our practice with all beings, knowing that all beings aspire towards freedom, towards peace, towards a sense of interdependence, May all beings awaken to interdependence, to love, and to caring in this difficult time.
I, again, I have the flyers up here if you're, if you're interested. <laughs> Interdependence. <laughs> That's what I would have guessed. Mm. I was kidding. Okay. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.